0: Welcome to School of Movies. Okay, here goes. The Fantastic Four, Fall Rise of the Silver Surfer, Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider Spirits of Vengeance, The Punisher, Punisher Warzone, and Electra. Just, I mean, like everything Marvel had left.
1: Exposure to a high-energy cosmic storm
2: could advance our knowledge about planetary life. To our future. I don't trust him. We got what we wanted. Just worried about what he wants. Our entire biophysical structure is changing. God, it's terrible news. I think I'll get a
0: second opinion. The cloud has fundamentally
2: altered our DNA. That's gross.
3: Reed, look at me. I can't
2: from his core you don't want to walk around on fire for the rest of your life do you
3: is that a trick question come on am i the only guy who thinks this is cool what if we got these powers for a reason
1: i've always wanted power
2: victor you always thought you were a god
1: let's not fight
2: no let's don't even think about it never do Flame on! Oh, you're
0: hot. Why, thank you. So are you. The 2005 Fantastic Four, let's do them in order, shall we? Uh, This one's an origin plot, uh, and uh, it... it, I mean, you know, there's no other way of putting it. The Fantastic Four are introduced in human form. They go into space, they get their powers, they come back down to Earth, they discover their powers, they argue a bit, fall out, come back together, um, and then they fight Doctor Doom the end. Okay. That's pretty much it, isn't it? Was there more so. to that?
4: Not really.
0: Specifically, the fact that Ben Grimm is big and orange and made of rock makes him sad, which forms the emotional core of the movie because uh, there's, it, it's, it's really difficult not to feel sorry for the thing when he's played well, in this case by Michael Chiklis, uh, and, and feeling sorry for himself. He's just such an, uh, a a big clumsy guy and uh, his, his, his fingers are so big and he's just so uh, removed from his own human proportions that um, it's kind of an elephant man story.
4: Mm. I think although this was one of the better things about the film, the better elements of the, the plot, certainly, the problem with the way this was presented is that the setup is he has a girlfriend or he has a fiance in fact before they leave and when they come back and she sees his big oranginess uh she leaves him
0: his big orange penis
4: his big oranginess (laughs) (laughs) don't twist my words um and um, and she come you know when he's off doing his heroic thing and saving lives she seeks him out in order to leave the ring behind as if to say this is all irrelevant you're orange and rocky now therefore i have no interest in you mm. and there's a
0: lovely little moment there where she leaves it on the pavement and he can't even pick it up he can't he pick has- it up That is too big.
4: Yeah, that is a very sweet moment and it is very sad. But the problem is that I'm I'm looking at this woman behaving in this horrendously (laughs) shallow and superficial way and thinking, you know what? You're well shot of her, frankly.
0: Yeah dodged a bullet there which yeah, is which absolutely. is harder with your frame now
4: yeah if if she'd walk away from you for this trust me she'd walk away from you when you hit 55 and you have to get up four times a night to pee
0: but yeah basically this is that whole sort of uh, for richer for poorer well not for poorer for better for worse well definitely not for worse yeah this is not marriage material right there no.
4: and it doesn't help that she's um a woman whose name i can't remember from the walking dead
0: oh that narrows it down
4: The blonde who's still alive.
0: Uh, That may not narrow it down.
4: (laughs) I want to say Sarah. It
0: doesn't matter. No, I know. Andrea.
4: That's the one.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she's Andrea in The Walking Dead. She's also in the Silent Hill movie as uh, Sybil Bennett shouting, what the fuck is going on? That's her let's go back to ben Grimm because he really is the best thing in this uh as i said michael checklist they went for the uh prosthetics rather than uh cg thing i suspect for the new fantastic four they're gonna go for cg same as with the hulk maybe even performance capture um which means that this will probably be the last time we ever get to see ben Grimm in prosthetics and yeah
4: i think they made the right decision Looking at the quality of CG that they have on Reed... Oh, my God. ...which is terrible... You know even the thing that- about
0: millennial rubber?
4: <laughs> he is
0: supposed to possess the properties of rubber, and he does. And it still looks To the point bad. where we can't believe he's a man. We really did believe he's made out of rubber.
4: Yes. Um, but uh, I think if they tried to do Ben in CG, you would have... In trying to retain his eyes so that they had the actual proper expression of, yeah. um, of a human, you would have ended up with something akin to the honey monster. Um, <laughs> little wobbly eyes shaking up and down on a bad background.
0: Tech wasn't there and this isn't Weta. Mm. No, this is, I mean, basically, with Caesar and with Kong and with Weta in charge, my God, you can get the eyes, you can get the soul through there. But I don't suspect these effects folks would be able to manage that. Having said that, Chiklis' performance, you get a lot of soul in there. And uh, he manages to feel sorry for himself without just being a maudlin dick. He's got kind of a gallows humor thing going on. He's, uh, he's from Yancey Street in Brooklyn. So uh, he's, he's, got, he's always kind of reminded me of Bender a little bit.
4: Yes, I can see that. Actually, one uh, scene I really liked is when he goes into the bar Mm -hmm. and he's all orange uh, in his overcoat and hat and they basically... It takes them a moment to get their head round it and then the bartender introduces him to everybody as uh, Ben Grimm, the only person from brooklyn who ever went into space hey, and this I guy's re- an
0: astronaut
4: yeah i really liked the fact that there was this, you know that there were people around who would emphasize the fact that he is still ben irrespective of of what his skin is doing
0: yeah and uh, yeah he's a, he's a great fun character he's lovable especially for the kids and uh, he, he's the heart of the fantastic four he's always been portrayed as a, like a giant baby uh, from the 60s, uh, he uh, they emphasized the fact that he's wearing a big blue diaper rather than trousers and boots. But in this, obviously, he's wearing trousers and boots because a big blue diaper doesn't look good in marketing. But uh, he, he behaves sometimes quite childishly, which is charming in itself. And his number one foil is... Johnny Storm the human torch played by Chris Evans. Now, this was a character taken out of the 70s cartoon. Any idea why? I've mentioned it on a previous podcast.
4: I know why, do you? He want was replaced to say? with
0: a small robot thing called Herbie. Uh yeah, you if you're the only person available to ask this question, so you may as well say. Uh
4: they took him out because they didn't want children to try and set themselves on fire.
0: Yeah. So basically, it's the, the Fantastic Three plus a robot. Yeah. Um, however, Chris Evans, I'm so glad he was in this film because it allowed him to uh, make a connection with uh, producer Kevin Feige, who must have written down on his uh, reasons, uh, stuff, list of things to keep about the Fantastic Four films. Chris Evans, and moving on. And, uh, and thus got the job as uh, Captain America. Now, I remember way back saying, guess who's been cast as the new Captain America? And you said, he can't be Captain America. He's Johnny Storm. People will get confused. Were people confused? I don't know. No, not at all. <laughs> this film made no money whatsoever. And they
4: went fantastic for nobody it. Nobody gave a toss. didn't see that. <laughs>
0: Nobody gave a toss. The $330 million worth of people who did go and see these films uh, forgot them immediately afterwards. Although I think they might remember Johnny Storm being fun or funny. I don't think they'd really tie it up with um, uh, Evans himself. And his performance is entirely different. I mean, like, completely different from, uh, from from Steve.
4: With the obvious exception of the scenes in which he gets his shirt off.
0: That's not a performance, that's a chest.
4: I know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's often easy to confuse the two. Uh, anyway, so yeah, he's a womanizer uh, and uh, a Fonzie type, and this is charming because he's hot, literally. And uh, there, there are times when, like, uh, when he's in the elevator going up and down all day. And every time attractive women get into the elevator with him, he heats up the elevator so that they go, ooh, it's hot in here, and take off their shirts. He's like, yes, it is. Oh, my. Checking out their norks. And this begins to get a little bit pathetic. And it's eventually it's just like he's chasing women and going, Ugh, just look at it. Just look at it. um." It, it's an uncomfortable performance, actually. If you if you really start thinking too much into Johnny Storm, he's desperate for tail.
4: He is, and it, it it does sort of become one of those things of is he getting away with this because he's attractive, you know, because he's good looking? Are we supposed to expect that all of this incredibly sleazy behaviour? Which it is, <laughs> um, is, is acceptable. But in fairness, as the films progress, and especially as it starts to move into film two, it does become obvious that this is really not on.
0: Yeah. And there are several people who call him on his shitty behaviour. Absolutely. What his, he has a bit more of an arc in the first one, where people are like, all you're doing is showing off, you're putting people in danger. You know, people don't like these fun little parlour tricks. Just go home. Go home to your girlfriend. I don't have a girlfriend, and that makes me sad. And so, yeah, Johnny has a bit of an arc. Mm.
4: Plus, he does balance out slightly uh, the fact that uh, two for two, Jessica Alba gets naked. Yeah. But Chris Evans also gets naked in both films.
0: So I suppose it's equal opportunities. I I
4: think it it does balance it a little. And I, you know, that's one less thing for me to complain about.
0: To go back to uh, uh, characters and scenarios that uh, allow Ben Grimm to grow, Alicia Masters, played by Kerry Washington, uh, a, a blind artist who takes a shine to him, this is straight out of the comics, and is played, let me just double check, because I'm not sure if Kerry Washington is actually blind. Ah, she played Ray Charles's wife in Ray in 2004. So basically, she knew all about blind people going in.
4: You mean blind performance?
0: Well, I'm assuming for blind performance, she had to research um, the, uh, the the prospect of being blind. Yeah. The fact that I'm having to actually look up whether or not she's visually impaired speaks volumes for her performance.
4: It does, yes.
0: Yeah, And she comes off as an honest and genuine person. And frankly, I could have done with a whole lot more of her and a whole lot less of the other two members of the Fantastic Four. <laughs> mm, Frantic, yeah. Frankly, I would be happy enough with the Fantastic Two plus Alicia.
4: Yeah, that would, have been, that would have been reasonable, I think. I, I did especially like the fact that her, uh, her disability, while it's obviously a very significant part of who she is, does not define her. Yeah. Her, her artistry, actually, her work, defines her the most in this film, not so much in two, because she's only very, in it very briefly. Um, <laughs> I mean, only so,
0: to convey platitudes to Sue Storm.
4: Yes, indeed. But we'll come to that in a minute. Yeah, um,
5: well.
4: <laughs> Uh, But she's, you know, she's quite, she's strong and she's quite feisty, and she has her own way of doing things. She's very
0: assertive. She doesn't doesn't like being patronised. Just feeling sorry for himself.
4: Absolutely, and I think there is often a tendency that when you introduce uh, a, a. love interest to somebody like ben Grimm or hank mccoy or you know somebody who has all these insecurities about being a big bulky giant of a man um with none of the qualities that they believe adored men are supposed to have the girlfriend has a tendency to be little and sweet and vulnerable and uh make them feel better about their huge strength because they can be very gentle with her and that you know kind of gets that element of their personality across but she's totally not like that she will call him on his self-pity and um she's somewhat in awe of
0: his frame in an artistic sense she she gives him a good dusting off at one point and sculpts Mm. him and uh he is of extreme interest to her
5: for who he is yeah
4: well because she she sort of tells things by touch not necessarily again just because of the of her uh, sight impairment but because she's a sculptor and she is he's her muse basically they she has a a gallery opening at one point and all of her work is based on him which i found quite uh, entertaining
0: now if i looked at the um Character notes from uh, the writer of these uh, this film, uh, Michael France and Mark Frost, and uh, looked under Reed Richards. he would say Reed Richards is a boring nerd. That's all they seem to think of this character. It's played by Ewan Griffith, famous Welsh actor. He was Lancelot in um, uh, King Arthur, uh, the one with Clive Owen. He was also was he hornblower? Couldn't tell you. He was and. <laughs> Uh, Reed Richards. Okay, so moving on. Sue Storm. Uh, no, no, yes. sure. Reed, there's there's fuck all here, right? Here's how the uh, reboot of Fantastic Four can improve on Reed Richards. Give us a character. This guy's nothing. He's dull as dishwater. The writers seem to think so. They give him nothing to do apart from to annoy Sue Storm. He is there to give her more character. Unfortunately, it just makes her worse of a character. Uh, he's the one with all the ideas who says all the science things and gets kind of caught up in his lab. There's nothing else that seems to drive him apart from some nerdish, mathematician-y, astronomer-y, science-y, we don't understand this. It's the kind of guy who, uh, in the beginning of uh, Rise of the Silver Surfer, he's trying to impress some floozies by describing the Big Bang. And he, he does it in a sort of a basic way, and you're like, okay, mm-hmm, Big Bang, and yes... It's written in such a way as that dumb people will go, oh, that's too science for me. And smart people will be like, yes, and? But that's all there is to him. He is kind of caught up in his work. That's his character. And he is used to bring Sue Storm out of her shell. Something she singularly fails to do for the duration of two movies. Susan Storm is the millstone around the neck of this film, of both of these films. What were we going to say?
4: I was going to say that's unfair, and then I thought better of it.
0: It's not just Jessica Alba. No. She's a bad actress, but she has nothing to do here either. I originally said a few days ago on the uh, on Twitter that Green Lantern was the worst represented costumed superhero of the uh, the 21st century run of um, live-action superhero movies. I take that back. it's Sue Storm. If you compare uh, this characterization here to how she comes across in say civil war, it's there's there's nothing here. there is nothing. there is a whiny teenage girl she, she whines and she is anxiety ridden over the fact that they're not exactly normal she's a millionaire celebrity, supermodel astrophysicist superhero, metahuman and she's adored the world over and she still finds the entirety of the second movie to complain she's not quite so bad in this first one She's uh, she. It's all linked to her being invisible, and she's like, yeah, uh, Reed, you don't." See, I feel like you're not looking at me, and she keeps going invisible, and it's like it's used as a metaphor for the fact that she's not really present in his world. It's heavy-handed, but it's at least something. In the second one, that's not the case. All she's doing is moaning. They're supposed to be getting married, and this, the Galactus may be coming to de- what well, is coming to devour the world. How dare Reed Richards? focus more on the destruction of everything we know than on her celebrity wedding. We are talking about one of the most small-minded, selfish characters in comic book history here. She's abominable.
4: She is. If if your character, uh, your superhero character, your... Only female superhero character in the movie can most charitably be described as Carrie Bradshaw without the depth of experience.
0: (sighs) Also, without the sexual appetite. There's a point where uh, Reed Richards is dancing with a couple of these same floozies at his bachelor party. He swore there would be no exotic dancers to uh, Jessica Alba, the girl who described the character of Nancy in Sin City, the role she was playing, as an exotic dancer. Mm. anyway so Reed's dancing with these girls and he's doing sort of these awful rubbery disco moves and you know for the first time ever people are looking at him and going yeah Reed's dancing and then she comes in and stares at him scornfully she brings in this sort of proto Nick Fury general type jock guy uh, to, to, to inform him about the whole Galactus thing and she's like you were dancing with girls at your bachelor party dancing with them disco style and Reed goes, "Oh, honey, it didn't mean nothing," and she replies, "Oh, it's okay. It's nothing compared to what I did on my what's the what's the term?" Hen bachelorette night? party. It's nothing compared to what I did at my bachelorette party. You know what you did at your bachelorette party, Sue? We didn't see it, but I'm going to go ahead and guess you drank Cristal and bitched about Reed to your mum. There were no male strippers there, but I guess there was a lot of cheese whiz. (laughs) She is the least exciting, least vibrant of all Marvel characters brought to the screen. And I mean even the badly realised one. Nick Cage's Ghost Rider is the fucking godfather in comparison to this character.
4: She comes across, if if we're going to read her as an actual person, which is...
0: Uh, She comes across as a person who should not be in a superhero movie.
4: Well, yes, indeed. She comes across like a child. um, And I I found myself thinking today that... You know the scene where she's she's basically saying to Reed, it's entirely unreasonable of you to be concentrating on work right now because there's this big long list of wedding stuff that, that we're supposed to be doing and I'm doing it all and you're not doing any of it because you're working on cosmic radiation theories and uh, building jets and things like that. Do you know what sprang to my mind? That scene in... Uh, is it in the Avengers where agent Coulson turns up at the apartment and gives uh, pepper pepper the laptop and she's like, right, I'm taking the jet. You have homework work. I'll see you later.
0: Yeah. If you don't want to be a part of this, don't, it is that simple. That's fine. You have the absolute right to have your own life, but this is a, terrible privilege that has been placed upon reed richards and they never go into this
4: is the thing she's supposed to share it she's supposed to be a super intelligent genius geneticist do you know how many times in this i see her doing geneticist work never she starts the film as fucking doom's pa and ends up doing nothing Nothing, She's, nothing, nothing. She ever. just
0: hangs around the Baxter building like Reed's pernicious teenage daughter.
4: And then they put her next to Alicia, who's doing art, and Reed, who's doing science, and Johnny, who's setting things on fire it doesn't look good
0: no it doesn't look good so basically the fantastic four you have totally ineffectual tedious nerd and i say nerd in the way that this is how they're defining him there's a point where he says to the nick fury and I, i use this term in a way where it's like obviously this is supposed to be shield but they don't have the license to use shield so it's just the military he says to the the military general guy hey buddy You just asked me to come and help you. Uh, And, you know, enough calling me a nerd, okay? I'm about to get married to the hottest girl on the planet. I'm like a superstar man, and I've got, like, these bendy powers, and I'm a genius. So if you ask for my help, then that's what I'll give you. But don't, um, call me a nerd.
4: If you have to bring in look how fit my girlfriend is to your argument, you've already lost.
0: Yeah. Anyway, um... Yeah, so Reed is an uh, ineffectual nerd. Johnny is, uh, won't be the, what would be the term, fun jock?
4: Uh, he tries to be. Yeah.
0: He ha- you said that he had an arc in the second film, but I didn't really see it. He just kept absorbing. That was just busy work. There's a point where he touches the Silver Surfer and then his powers go a bit crazy, so every time he touches one of the other FF members, he absorbs their powers. But that's just busy work. That's just stuff like for them to have sketches throughout the entire film, where it's like somehow um, uh, Sue Storm touches Johnny and then all her clothes burn off instantly. And uh, like then... Like Johnny touches Reed when they're trying to say stop the London Eye from falling into the Thames, uh, and uh, then uh, Reed goes invisible and Johnny goes on uh, goes all rubbery. or oh, I can't remember.
4: Doesn't matter, does
0: it? It doesn't matter.
4: No, no, that wasn't what I was talking about. Um, I was specific, when I said he had a character arc in the second one. I was specifically referring to the fact that he uh, he basically is attracted to and tries to pursue a female member of the military outfit who's come and asked them to help out with this you know cosmic blow up world thing and she ignores him basically she is uh, um an efficient well-trained
0: her name's frankie ray
4: what that's the character of the actress the, uh,
0: the character. played by Bo Garrett?
4: Okay, well she's anyway she's a captain. She's that's how much of a character she, be...
0: she was. We don't even know her name.
4: I know she has more important things to be doing at any anyway, rate than responding <laughs> to a uh, flirty, slightly attractive but mostly annoying guy. Um, and he through her. Just look at it. Well, indeed, but through her. Ignoring him, he basically comes to realize that all of these shallow five-minute relationships that he's been pursuing, you know, the type where she doesn't even have to roll her tights all the way down. um, (laughs) he's, He's really not building anything he's not growing as a person there's, there's nothing particularly meaningful going on there and he starts to by the end of the film kind of realise this it doesn't really go anywhere because we cut from that going on to and now she's at the wedding with him as yeah. his date And she
0: goes to to catch the bouquet and then he burns it. He's like, fuck, no, I ain't marrying you.
4: We don't even see the scene where he asks her to the wedding as his date. So how that came about, uh, either way.
0: She she should have said, I can't. I'm burying my boss right now. He just got completely obliterated by Dr. Doom. I'm burying what's left of him. Yes. I'm I'm in mourning right now. This guy uh, was uh, very important to
4: me. So to be fair, that arc doesn't really go anywhere, but it's kind of there for the first two-thirds of the film.
0: The Silver Surfer turns up, like fly does a flyby on Sue Storm's wedding. There's like a helicopter crash and the whole thing goes to shit. Johnny goes racing off after him, and Sue sort of sits down in a sort of a My
5: Special Wedding
0: Now, obviously. Obviously, many, many girls and many, many boys dream about their dream wedding, but there's
2: bigger things at stake here! Yeah.
0: Sue appears to be in this movie to moan and then to remind Norin Rad of his uh, ex-girlfriend. Norin Rad, for what his character is in here, uh, is the Silver Surfer. Um, he's stoic. He comes from another world, it would appear. He's quite gentle with Sue. He doesn't seem to, you know... He's sort of an antagonist, but is barely characterized, and then they help him out. And theres uh, He spends most of the film not saying much of anything. In fact, up until close to the end, they weren't sure whether he was going to speak at all. He's embodied by Doug Jones of uh, most of the, Guillermo del Toro's films, including Pan's Labyrinth and Hellboy. If you've ever seen somebody doing crazy things with their hands in a uh, Guillermo del Toro film, that was Doug Jones. And he's voiced by Lawrence Fishburne. And he has a lovely, deep, rich, booming voice, which gives him a lot of character. Um, guess who doesn't have a lovely, deep, rich, booming, or terrifying, or powerful voice?
5: Doom!
0: Doom. Victor von Doom, played by Julian Mamahan, I believe, is from Nip Tuck. Um, is uh, an old business associate and and possibly old friend or rival of Reed's in the first movie. His powers are less specific than the Fantastic Four. It's something to do with energy. It's never really gone into. The only person he talks to is this David Schwimmer type in the first film who doesn't seem to turn up in the second one. Who's like, oh, hey, the Fantastic Four just took all your press, Dr. Doom. And... (laughs) And he basically just monologues to this guy and and says, yes, well, I shall take control of the entire business empire. And he he seems to be like this coffee magnate or something, some sort of middle management man from Del Monte kind kind of guy. Uh, Josh Garrity described him as a man, um, a businessman who learns he can shoot lightning from his fingers. That's his arc. That's what he does. It's not that he's the ruler of Latveria and, you know, his people love him, but he's a tyrant and he's uh, an allegory for every uh, tyrant that has ever existed and is a, a wonderfully imposing figure. He's just a twatty businessman. And at the end, for no apparent reason, he puts on the Doom mask and a bit of a coat, grapples with a Fantastic Four, mostly using a rocket launcher. mm And then that's it in the first film. They they like freeze and burn the shit out of him and kill him, and then um, send him off to Latveria, his body. He comes back in the second one, uh, meets the silver surfer, and when he speaks to the surfer, the surfer's like, ''Why have you summoned me here?'' And his response is that the, he barely gets to do the Doom voice in the in the first one, but he really registers as not a voice in the second one. He's like, oh, hey, Surfer, I've, I've got some ideas for you. You might want to hear about this one. We could be gods, I tell you. And he's he's got this kind of tweaky little voice that's barely there, and he just sort of mumbles... There's two things about Doom that any child could tell you. One is the mask and the costume and how incredibly imposing he's supposed to be. Eventually they get that right, but it's way too late. The other is the voice. And if you don't have the voice, he's not even a character. I know it sounds shallow, but if they had something really compelling to replace this with, it would have been okay to miss out the voice. But there's nothing there. And in a post-Bane world, that lack of voice is really apparent. And it sounds like I'm saying, oh, the voice, the voice, the voice. It's the presence. There is no presence to this Doctor Doom. He is an afterthought. And he's supposed to be one of the scariest fucking Marvel villains of all fucking time. And that ruins the Fantastic Four. He is the worst supervillain ever. I would take any villain over this guy. Any villain. Um... Who was the dude in Superman 3?
4: Richard Pryor?
0: No. Well, yeah, I'd take him. Um, the guy who was standing in for uh, Lex Luthor. Robert Vaughn. Yeah, I'd take Robert Vaughn in Superman 3 over this guy. I'd take Nuclear Man from Superman 4 over this guy. Because he has at least uh, has the ridiculousness of Gene Hackman's uh, voice coming out of Mark Pillow's mouth. Gene Hackman and Superman, any of the three uh, villains in Superman, any of the Batman villains, including the Schumacher ones, I'd take any of the Marvel villains. I'd take the giant cloud thing from. Okay, the giant cloud thing from Green Lantern is the exact analogue of their version of Galactus. So it's like they've already got that in there. So basically, maybe that was the only other worst villain, but they've already got that big cloud covered. Do you know what happens when you go oh let's take away the guy in the purple hat because that would be ridiculous let's turn him into a big cloud? You take away the character, he becomes simply then a symbol of the impending doom of the planet. He becomes a non-entity someone that can't be reasoned with, someone that can't have their ideology discussed with, someone that can't talk to Norrin Rad himself, someone that isn't a person, someone that isn't an event, it's just a thing that they have to prevent from happening this as I said on Twitter yesterday is the Avengers done wrong it's really close in terms of what actually happens uh, you know that the, the sort of the, the planet devastating thing turns up and there's a sort of charismatic villain in the middle trying to sort of you know make things work to his own ends and these four mismatched heroes who may have to st- stop bickering amongst each other in order to actually save the day only it's like an hour and twenty minutes long it's utterly tedious i mean the first one's actually better than the second one because in essence the second one has more going for it and in in terms of the fact that you know they're free of the origin story they can do their own thing but here's the thing the origin story of the first one being all it is is at least sort of like well look here's the fantastic four there you go they're basically just the costumes a bit of the characters and then the credits roll that's acceptable enough The fact that they then take these established characters and then do nothing with them for an hour and 20 minutes and charge you for another ticket is appalling. Anything more to add to these ones?
4: Yes, I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that I want to say that I haven't already, other than just Sue Storm was the most horrendously, appallingly awful person ever in the history of the world in this, and I hated her with a passion. She epitomised what people who aren't thinking, sorry, and I'm going to have to correct this one here, what men who aren't thinking think women alike when they put them in films that are designed to appeal to mostly men, but they want a few women to come and watch them anyway. Because if they'd just been throwing her in there to appeal to the male audience, she'd have been a girl whose name I can't remember from Transformers. Megan Fox. Megan Fox, yes. See, Megan
0: Fox at least had, like... She convinced me ever so slightly that she was into engines. And she was kind of nonchalant of uh, uh, Shia LaBeouf for the first, say, half of it. She's not a superhero, though. There's a legacy here. Plonk Girl. And these, all the whole of the Transformers movies are about Shia LaBeouf trying to get laid. But in the case of this, Sue Storm... <laughs> Oh, my God. They had, like, 40 years' worth of comic continuity to work on. Mm. Sue Storm is such a maternal figure now. Since Franklin Richards was born, like, decades ago, Sue Storm has been the mother. So she's the mother figure of the Fantastic Four. Where is the mother? This was
4: just a bitchy, whiny teenage girl. I think she does mention at one point that she wants kids. That's not the same thing? No, it's not. That is not the same thing. It it just made me start feeling sorry for this imaginary Franklin who doesn't exist yet.
0: Yeah. Similarly, Reed isn't the least bit fatherly. He's absent from everyone. There's no point when you really feel like Reed's there for you.
4: But he's not even absent in, like, a character-developed way. He's He's not even absent in a way that's significant and is part of the story. He's just badly written.
0: They just don't do anything with him. On the upside, though, the two babies, the two boys, the two kids do pretty well. I've got to say, I mean, I can't actually think of if they were going to just do a shallow Fantastic Four of anyone, like any better way of, of showing off Johnny and Ben, if they aren't going to really go into their characters, that's pretty much just it. You know, you chuck them out there, they're fine. I think that's why over the years I've never really hated the Fantastic Four because they get that sort of right. Could you think of a better way of doing it? I mean, I can think of definitely ways of, of deepening the shit out of these guys, but in the most perfunctory way.
4: Um, no, I think with those two, they pretty much covered it. I mean, as you say, the, because there's not a wealth of depth to those characters anyway, mm. there's only so much you can do to mess it up. I'm I'm trying to think what they could have done to really mess it up, and the only thing I can think is turning Johnny into a... Robot.
5: Just
0: in case the kids want to, like, just in on case fire. the kids want to set
4: themselves Or making on fire.
0: Ben really obnoxious. They could have overdone Ben. They could have. But you're supposed to like him and you do. Mm. Um,
4: or making it, him look like a CGI honey monster.
0: Yeah. I suppose if, if the effects had been really uh, off putting, then that would have been awful. Yeah. But I mean, all of every single effect involving Reed Richards is off putting and disgusting. And I mean that, it's disgusting.
4: passionate talk
0: yeah it actually made me lose my popcorn at times but the Reed and Sue thing on a superficial level no there's not much to them but it is not your place to go well they're boring characters we can't be bothered two films in a row that's exactly what they did with Cyclops and Gene in the X-Men films only this is like this is one half the Fantastic Four if you can't get these guys right don't do it and here's the thing they had no excuse not to do a more in-depth FF film, and I'll tell you for why. Pixar's The Incredibles, the mm-hmm. best Fantastic Four film that will ever be made, unless Josh Trank pulls a miracle out of his ass. On a superficial term, technically dash uh, is uh, in, in terms of power is the Flash rather than Johnny, but it's the Fantastic Four. Let's let make no mistake about it. You got the father figure, you got the mother figure, you got the um the literal baby figure of in, in terms of Jack-Jack, and you have uh, Johnny and... So, technically, Violet is like young Sue, and um, Helen is like older Sue.
5: Yeah.
0: <sighs> they just got it all nailed. So, it was kind of pointless making this film at all. It's almost like it was just done to retain a licence. You think? Yeah.
4: <sighs>
0: so, anyway, yeah. The uh, uh, first one bearable I suppose kind of fun second one it's not like there's a sudden terrible dip and like it suddenly becomes unbearable the Johnny and Ben stuff is still great fun and you know just like the Johnny pranking Ben you can't it's, it's hard not to at least grin because Chris Evans is so charming and because um, uh, Chicklis plays Mook quite well in, like someone who you just kind of want to see pranks played on um, but There'll be a point in the middle of the second film where you're like, oh, hang on. This is going nowhere. And both films actually have the ennoble uh, double moniker of having the worst villain ever, the worst superhero female ever, and... Also, I suppose if we count Galactus, the uh, the worst big bad ever, if you don't really count him as a villain, just that the, the the threat of him. He's just as bad as the giant cloud and the Green Lantern.
4: It, he's, he's a non-entity. You don't yeah. get any interaction with him at all. I mean, you, you compared it to the, the nothing that they did with Cyclops and uh, Phoenix in X-Men.
0: But oh, it's way better than that, actually. Sorry, no, it's, it's, they're way better than this.
4: Yeah, I was going to say, Cyclops... Maybe, but at least they tried to do something with Jean. They may have failed miserably, but at least they attempted something.
0: (laughs) She's not just horrible. And again, I I do want to absolve Jessica Alba at least from this. It would have been hard for, say, um, who's a really good actress?
4: Kate Blanchett.
0: If Kate Blanchett, given these lines and this little to do, came on, she could, you know, she could give you a bit more passion to the speeches. But because she's clearly a grown woman, she'd sound like less of a teenager, perhaps. And
4: also, all the scenes where she didn't have any lines, which were many, I might add, she wouldn't just have been stood in the background pouting with her arms folded. She'd have been doing things to get character and... and Feeling across, she'd have been, you know, there'd have been looks at Reed instead of just, you know, narrowing your eyes is not creating character depth. And and it's it's a tiny thing, and in real life it's irrelevant. But the age discrepancy between Jessica Alba and Ewan Griffiths. Just made that whole relationship it seem. It's creepy,
0: isn't it? Wrong. she's, she, she's acting young. As yeah, well.
4: not creepy particularly. It just didn't seem rational. It didn't seem how. Th- I couldn't understand how these people could have a history together when it looked like if you went back three years, she'd have still been in high school. And the fact that. So, do you know she was coming-
0: 25 in the first film and uh, 27 in the next? She's my age.
4: How old are you and Griffiths? 40. He's oh, only seven years God. older than her. Really doesn't work. Really didn't work to me. Um, and well,
0: again, they were like, "Well, we've got to give him like a streak of grey in his hair. Oh, that really helps. Yeah. That really helps That's making him look like a granddad." Matters.
4: But the other thing, do you know is who was well?
0: originally going to be cast? By the way, George Clooney.
4: You're joking. Uh, he was the in the book. running
0: for it. He's. <laughs> Right, um, it was going to be... Uh, Chris Columbus was going to direct. I'd actually have liked to see what Chris Columbus could do with it, because like, he's capable of doing truly cringeworthy films, but at least they're more remarkable than Tim Story's work on this. In retrospect, it also couldn't have been worse than Pixels. Directed by Chris Columbus. In the running for Sue Storm, Renee Zellweger, Ali Lata, Julius Stiles, Kate, oh. Kate Bosworth... Rachel McAdams, Scarlett Johansson,
4: mm-hmm. Elizabeth
0: Banks, and Katie Strickland.
4: But they're still skewing young. Yep. Very young.
0: George Clooney, Brendan Fraser was also in the role for uh, Mr. Fantastic. I'd have liked to have seen uh, Brendan Fraser because he plays nerd funny.
4: He does. In
0: terms of uh, um, uh, Bedazzled, which we think is great.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Paul Walker was going to play The Human Torch. Uh, Michael Chiklis was cast in the world of the thing at the suggestion of Gen- Jennifer Garner after James Gandolfini who again just like uh, Paul Walker is now dead um, and is kind of way too old back then to uh, to play um, Ben Grimm turned it down
4: sorry just go back what did Jennifer Garner have to do with this
0: she said try Michael Chiklis oh okay oh Jesus he, he was only 51 when he died
4: who Gandolfini
0: yeah Jesus. And uh, Chicklis is 50. So really, there's not that much in it in terms of age. But Did Kendall you Femme say, by the way,
4: uh, that Ewan Griffiths at 40 was only seven years older than Jessica Alba?
0: Ewan Griffith at 40 now oh, is seven right. years older than Jessica Jennifer Garner now at 33. Jessica Alba. Jessica Garner. Tim Robbins was considered to play Doctor Doom, but he rejected the role before Julian McMahon agreed to do the film. Tim Robbins then went off and did the totally shitty Green Lantern film in which he played a businessman in much the same way. You asked this one, what the hell was Mark Strong doing that meant he couldn't be Doctor Doom? That is a role made for Mark Strong. And frankly, Chris Evans should have said, Hey, I've got this guy I'm doing a movie with right now. It's called Sunshine. His name's Mark Strong. Anyway, so, worst villain ever. If you don't think he was the worst villain ever, and you would like to cite your worst villain ever, jump on the forum and let us know, because we really do think it's it's so hard. Mainly because, if you fuck up one of the Fantastic Four and the other three have to carry her... <laughs> <laughs> then at least you get the Fantastic Three plus Jessica Alba. If you fuck up Doctor Doom, it doesn't matter. As simple as that. It doesn't matter that you got a Fantastic Four because they've got no one to go up against. Because Galactus is a big cloud. It's kind of like bringing together the Avengers and then they go up against... Whiplash. Thanos'
4: secretary?
0: Whiplash.
4: No, but because no, because even
0: Whiplash had this kind of. If you can make God bleed, he he was threatening. There is no one worse than this. Let me think. Let me think. Oh, I know what Mark Strong was doing.
4: Green
5: Lantern.
4: Oh God, yeah, he was in that, wasn't he? And he was
0: actually pretty good as Sinestro. Yeah. He played it with conviction.
4: Well, of course he did. That's because he's Mark Strong and he's good. Green Lantern
0: really does feel like the DC version of this film, doesn't it?
4: But I think we've established that in terms of component parts, Green Lantern is better than this.
0: (sighs) i got to say, Ryan Reynolds is a fucking jinx. He's the best thing in these shitty comic movies he's in. He's the best thing in Green Lantern. He's the best thing in uh, X-Men Origins, Wolverine, apart from possibly Leaf Schreiber. He was the best thing in RYPD. I'm going to go ahead and guess. He was the best thing in Blade Trinity. And yet all the films sucked balls. So, you know, whether he's going to be good in them or not, Ryan Reynolds should not be allowed in comic book movies. <laughs>
4: Not. he's the reverse what? of
0: a rabbit's foot
4: i am interested to see what my reaction is going to be to seeing blade trinity again because if you've got parker posey in your film mm-hmm. and ryan reynolds is the best thing in it you done fucked up
0: oh she's the second best thing in it make no mistake but i haven't seen it since that one time either mm. i'm also going to be kind of unkind to the blade films thanks to david goya and his Bullshit. Yeah. But more on them in an upcoming episode. So in conclusion, Fantastic Four, it's all right. Four ways of the silver surfer.
4: I believe my comment on it last night was so much meh. <laughs> I can't even raise hate.
0: So where do these stand on our, our, our Marvel um, uh, movies list? I've actually put them... Uh, Let's see I've put uh, Fantastic Four Below X-Men 3 Underneath that The Punisher And underneath that Fantastic Four The Silver Surfer And underneath that Blade Trinity Although I haven't seen Blade Trinity in years That may raise or lower
4: And Punisher Warzone
0: Oh underneath that Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance Underneath that Punisher Warzone And underneath that At the very Bippity Bottom Electra Electra (laughs) Also known as Rise of Electra
4: I'm trying to work out whether... Did I dislike this more than I disliked Electra? Yeah.
0: Really?
5: You liked no, Electra more? No, sorry.
4: No, no, no. Because at least... Yeah, no, at this has got this Johnny. Has, yeah, it's got Chris Evans Come on. And, and Michael Chiklis. Come and, on. and Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> 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 the and the and the bippin' and the boppin'.
0: Reed's always, Reed never looks at me, Mom. He's always off playing with me like stupid machines. Oh, there, there, child. Oh, God, no, of course her mother is Jessica (laughs) Walters.
2: Oh, for the love of God. Don't you judge me. You're the selfish one. You're the one who charged his own brother for a Bluth frozen banana. I mean, it's one banana, Michael. What could it cost? Ten dollars. You've never actually set foot in a supermarket, have you? I don't have
0: time. Wait, well, that'll do. It's very hard not to think of the uh, Arrested Development Fantastic Four now.
4: Hmm. <clears throat> Mind me.
0: Uh, it was uh, Tobias tried to recreate. Well, because because he met the woman who um, played Sue Storm in the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. Uh, he tried to attempted to buy the rights to make a Fantastic Four film and sort of did like a community theatre version. Okay.
4: Oh yes, God, yes. Fantastic
0: <laughs> Four. Yeah. And she was like a crackhead or something. <laughs> The Fantastic Four is an unreleased superhero film completed in 1994. It was produced by low-budget specialist Roger Corman and Bernard Eichinger, who went on to produce another Fantastic Four movie in 2005. The film was based on a long-running comic book by Marvel Comics and featured the origin of the Fantastic Four and that superhero team's first battle with the evil Doctor Doom, combining the super team's origin from the Fantastic Four No. 1 and Doom's origin from Fantastic Four Annual No. 2 with original elements. So technically, this 2005 version is a remake of that one. But do you know why they made it? Why? In 1983, German producer Bernard Erkinger met with Marvel Comics Stan Lee in Lee's Los Angeles home to explore obtaining an option for a movie based on the Fantastic Four. The option was not available until three years later when Eichinger's Neue Constantin film company obtained it for a price the producer called Not Enormous, for which had been estimated to be about... A quarter of a million dollars. Despite some interest from Warner Bros. and Columbia Pictures, budget concerns precluded any production, with the option scheduled to expire on December 31st, 1992. Neo Constantine asked Marvel for an extension, with none forthcoming. I planned plan to retain his option by producing a low-budget Fantastic Four film. Reasoning, he said in 2005, they didn't say I had to make a big movie. In September 92, he teamed with B-Movie specialist Roger Coleman, who agreed to produce the film on a $1 million budget. Production began that December 28th under music video director Ole Sasson. Storyboards were drawn by artist Pete Von Scholly. It's a 21-day or 25-day production, filmed on the Concord Pictures Soundstage in Venice, California, as well as Agura, Cali- Agura, California, for a spacecraft crash scene. The Loyola Mon... Uh, The Loyola Marymount campus for a lab explosion scene in the former Pacific. Basically, they filmed it so that they could have filmed it.
5: Okay.
0: Does that make sense? Exactly the same as what happened with Amazing Spider Man. Right. Rather than spending $220 million on it, they spent $1 million. Yeah the film was parodying in season 4 of the television series Arrested Development in which Imagine Entertainment produced a low budget Fantastic Four movie starring Debris Bardot as Sue Storm the Invisible Woman after a drunk lawyer reminded the studio that they'd lose the rights if they didn't make the film in the next 6 days Tobias Myers K. David Cross later directs a musical version of the film. In 2014, a trailer for the documentary Doomed, the untold story of Roger Corman's Fantastic Four was released with Roger Corman, and the rest of the cast explaining what transpired with the film and its production. So basically, in 1993, a magazine article gave a tentative release date of Labor Day weekend 1993, but it was never actually made to be released. It was made to be made, that was it. They weren't expected to make any money on it, they just made it so that they could retain the rights. So, okay. so they could then negotiate to produce a big budget version, which technically the 2005 version is. Although I believe the rights Bernard Eichhanger went on to actually produce the 2005 Fantastic Four and Fantastic Four Rise of the Silver Surfer. So basically this direct this producer stayed with it the whole time. Now, this was a 2007 film. It was released just before Marvel suddenly got good. So, again, this is this theoretical dead zone where it actually seemed like comics might be petering out, like all the good characters have been done already, and uh, that you know no one was ever going to do a Captain America or a Thor. Yeah, Ghost Rider came out. This is one of those dark Marvel Knights comics. Uh, One of those uh, characters not made by Stan Lee. One of those characters that concerns himself with the scum of the streets. And which informs upon the movie. Now it's directed by Mark Steven Johnson, director of that other famous Marvel Knights film that everybody loves, Daredevil. And we actually saw the sequel before this. This time round, just to sort of familiarise ourselves with the one we hadn't seen before, going back to the one we had, and I'm glad we did.
4: I kind of liked it the the first time I saw it. It's always been one of those that I have sort of a little bit of a soft spot for. Mm -hmm. It's one of my I wouldn't quite call it a guilty pleasure, but I never feel guilt. No, true. Uh, But I definitely have a soft spot. (laughs) Hang on,
0: hang on. Extends bony finger. Guilty. You
5: <laughs> Continue.
4: So, i i like the intro setup i like the guy who plays the young johnny blaze although if he's 17 i'm a dutchman
0: maybe he's a bit older it never actually says how many years elapsed between how, how long it takes for this young Chris Evans-looking type kid to turn into wrinkly old Nick Cage. No, but... but... it would appear to be a shorter <laughs> period of years between that and between the first and second film.
4: Indeed. Eva Mendes, is it, playing Roxanne? Mm-hmm. Yeah, she states... She says at one point that he was 17 when it all went Really? Yeah.
0: Does yeah. she? <laughs> she does. Well, then she... Uh, the, the actress Eva Mendes, being 10 years younger than Nick Cage would have been yeah like a said seven- uncomfortable
4: <laughs> yeah so the setup of him basically offering to sell his soul to the devil in order to cure his father's cancer is brief but clear there is a. Uh, should we describe
0: it briefly to the uh, to the people who haven't seen it? Um, it? Right, if if you're familiar with the character of Spawn from the '90s, it's Spawn, or rather, Spawn is this. I'm fairly certain that most Ghost Rider fans will also have been reading Spawn, and then we'll go. Well, there's many, many differences. For example, Ghost Rider has a motorbike, uh, but no, no, it's. A, <laughs> also
4: he's on fire
0: in the case of Spawn he's like a mercenary who did bad things and killed people for a living and thus attracted attention of the devil Malbolger who when he dies gives him a chance to come back and see his wife if he will be like the the head of his armies and gives him you know super devil powers Uh, but uh, he decides to basically turn that back against Malbolja. in Daredevil he tries to Ghost Rider in Ghost Rider... Well, he's a Daredevil stunt rider. Forgive me. And it's directed by the director of Daredevil. In Ghost Rider, he's a Daredevil stunt rider, and his dad is dying of cancer, and so to save him, he makes a deal with the devil to cure his cancer. His dad is cured of cancer, and then dies horribly in a crash the next day, and the devil goes, ah, ha, 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 ha! Well, I am the devil, after all. Peter Fonda's having some fun with this role. Not. <laughs> I don't think... Uh, no, he's really not. He's He, he seems not miserable
5: much.
0: in his, his role. And uh, he's like, right, now you're going to be like my uh, my hunter. You're going to hunt down the evil people for me. And I'll call on you in a few years' time when you're Nick Cage. And he does. He it's does. Not,
4: it's not quite that. It's not about hunting down evil people. The rider collects on the devil's contracts.
0: Uh-huh.
4: So, whenever somebody has offered to sell their soul to the devil, when the time comes for their soul to be claimed, the rider is supposed to go and fetch it for him.
0: Okay. So, anyway, the plot moves on. Um, Nick Cage is now an adult, sort of. You say that! Uh, he was going to run away with his girlfriend Roxanne when they were kids, but then his father died, and then he turned into this. Well, he, he, he started, did a deal with the devil, and then he spent the interim. He, he decided not to run away with her. He spent the interim years being evil, Knievel. And Cage himself wanted various different affectations uh, for the character, rather than being alcoholic and miserable and dour and like all like sort of grim duck, He listens to the carpenters. He drinks jelly beans. Uh, out of a, uh, a, a martini glass. He's very kind of cool about everything. He tends to point a lot. Uh, that comes into his character and uh, and has a, like a little cane, like a staff that he walks with, just sort of as an affectation. And he's, he's kind of an eccentric character, which is kind of refreshing, considering all the grim dark that usually turns up in these movies. He's, he's more cheerful than Peter Parker.
4: That is true, which is a little worrying.
0: Uh, yeah, so the devil comes back and goes. Right, I think I'm going to collect on my due now. Why now? Well, just now. Um, and which the rather term-
4: begs the question: Who's been collecting on his contracts all these years?
0: Yeah, because like there's the, like there's always a rider in every generation, and the last rider was this cowboy guy. You, you get this great sort of narration bit at the beginning by Sam Elliott, who's wonderful, wonderful voice. Um, you know, c- can kind of propel any hokey old story along. And, uh, you know, he he's, turns out to be the grave digger. With, he, he's got this really hairy face, like his cheeks are hairy. It's like he's got a beard, and then it, the beard envelopes his entire face. Um, spoiler alert, he was the ghost rider at the beginning on a horse, and he defied the devil and rode off. And um, then the next generation, over 100 years later, I'm not sure they understand what generation means. Uh, then the next one is um, Johnny Blaze.
4: Unless there have been other riders that we just don't get told about.
0: Very likely. Do they expound on this particular mythology? No. No. Do they do it in the sequel? No. No. Not at all. No. At all. Uh, So, yeah, um, Nick Cage sort of meets Roxanne again. I I would say Johnny Blaze. It's sort of a fusion of what Nick Cage wants Johnny Blaze to be and Nick Cage. I, I, I honestly doubt there's much of the Johnny Blaze character from the comics in this. Having not being a fan of the comics, I would not know. But yeah, tell us, Ghost Rider fans, please do, because some Ghost Rider fans were really pissed off at this. Uh, a lot of other Ghost Rider fans, you know, got their Ghost Rider tattoo at some point in the '90s and then thought to themselves, probably better start reading the comics to sort of justify this thing, and then did and found that they were quite good. Or I don't know if they carried on being fans. Maybe it couldn't have been too bad. And he's sort of been in and out of print ever since then and in and out of popularity. Probably peaked a little around 2007 and then subsided a little. Um, But a lot of Ghost Rider fans were pissed off. Some Ghost Rider fans actually prefer the sequel.
4: There's nothing I can say to that.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll we'll come back to that We'll come to that in a
4: minute. We'll come to (laughs) that in a minute. He does... He is a little more restrained than I have seen him of late. He, he never really does a full-on Nick Cage wig out in this. Or if he does, it's when he's going through the transformation into the rider anyway, so you can forgive him for doing the Nick Cage wig out because his head's on fire.
0: Yeah. He has is, he is, he that kind of,
5: ah,
0: ah, and goes from screaming to cackling with laughter which is kind of his thing now. Nick Cage ever being this crazy when I watched his films when I was a kid? You know, I remember him and stuff like Raising Arizona and The Rock and uh, Leaving Las Vegas, where he was very committed and he was very serious about his roles, but he was never like a gibbering maniac.
4: What was the turning point? Was it face off?
0: No. I had not seen Vampire's Kiss back in those days, but that came out before all these films I'm talking about. So he was mental ages ago. There
2: is no one else in this entire office that I could possibly ask to share such a horrible job. You're the lowest on the totem pole here, Alva. The lowest. Do you realise that? Every other secretary who's been here has been here longer than you, Alva. Everyone. And even if there was someone here who was here just one day longer than you, I still wouldn't ask that person to partake in such a miserable job as long as you were around. That's right, Alva. It's a horrible, horrible job. Sifting through old contract after old contract. I couldn't think of a more horrible job if I wanted to. And you have to do it. You have to, or I'll fire you. Do you understand? Do you? Don't you want to use your gun, Albert?
0: But they they didn't really capitalize on it, you know, because he was in moonstruck. I think he got got like Oscar nominated or something like that. And you know, him being Francis Ford Coppola's nephew certainly didn't hurt to grease the wheels. But um, but yeah, no, just just more recently he, he was. There's this brilliant. You know, let's let's just play it now, shall we? Nick Cage's agent by college humor.
1: All right, listen to me, you're Nicholas Cage. No one can ever take that away from you. But after The Sorcerer's Apprentice, Bangkok Dangerous, Knowing, Ghost Rider, Next, Wicker Man, you need to be a little bit more selective about your films, Nicky. Selective, Gary? All right, for example, this just came in today. I've got it right here. You'd be playing a prisoner who asks if he could leave, and the warden says yes. And then I leave? Yeah, that's it. Not a very interesting story. So this is the kind of picture you shouldn't be doing. <laughs> I'm in. What'd you say? I I'm I'm gonna let that one slide, Nick, but your reputation is at stake. You have to be a little bit more discerning. I like being in movies, Gary. I know that you do, but you have to say no to some of them, like this new one where the hero is a Nazi who can only speak in adverbs. Let's do it. Wait, no, Nick, come on. Now, I want you to think hard about this, okay? You'd be playing Superman. I love it. Let me finish. Superman's cat. You'd be playing Superman's cat. I love it, Gary. (sighs) And everyone on this bus is vomiting, except for your character who has diarrhea. Count me in. A raunchy teen sex comedy shot entirely from the waist down. Absolutely. This one is literally a documentary about dandruff directed by M. Night Shyamalan. Oh, perfect. An astronaut gets lost in space and his body implodes, except for his ass, which maintains consciousness and must find its way back to the ship. Brilliant. Oscar Schindler is not an action hero. He is now. People do not want to see an all-white remake of the color purple! Sucks for them! In a world where one man's dick hole is a black hole, we... Yep! Jack O' Lantern comes to life, makes itself a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and becomes inanimate again. Hell yeah! The lawyer wakes up with his ass where his dick used to be. Cheech has the voice of your ass from the writer of Space Ass. No! Great, Nick. We'll pass on this. We'll get you something better with Sorry, my dog was eating my shoelace. Whatever you just said, I'm in. It's the same action movie. They just changed the title to To Kill a Mockingbird Retold So That the Black Guy Really Did Rape That Woman. Why are you doing this? What is wrong with you? You're a madman! All right. Listen. This one is a career render. You play a guy who can communicate with dolphins and uses this power to hunt them. Yes. It's a silent movie. Yes. There's a scene in it where you have real, actual sex with a puppy. Yes, yes, yes. And it's not going to be shot on film. It's going to be shot on Fruit by the Foot. Yes, 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 yes. Nicholas, I'm making this one up. I'm making it up. You can't say yes to it because it doesn't f***ing exist. Well, huh, let's get Bruckheimer on the no, then. No, Nick, I quit. You're a tasteless asshole. What? A tasteless.
0: So, yeah, uh... He meets Roxanne again, tries to rekindle a, a, a romance with her, sort of, like, shows off on his bike, which is fun, and then turns into the rider for the first time in his life. And then he sort of races around, like, certain places on fire. And then, like, he, Ghost Rider's power is to find the guilty, like, let's face it, rapists. And, uh, you know, people who have assaulted women grab them by the collar and stare into their eyes. That's his penance stare. And like they go, ah, and all the harm they've ever visited on anyone ever is like, like redoubled back onto them. And then that, that like burns their soul out of them, leaving them just like uh, uh, like their eyes smoking piles of ash, which is kind of fun to watch although it is troubling if you think about it because this just like Frank Miller's comics and uh, I suppose Daredevil as well Frank Miller's comics um, it's it's kind of it's it's very like militant right-wing you know for, for angry teenagers who feel powerless and want to uh, um, enact vengeance upon what they would consider to be the scum on the streets but can't and so we Ghost Rider comics and Spawn comics and Daredevil comics and Batman comics, where, wherein that happens a lot.
4: The, the problem with that, though, is that it focuses... It
0: dehumanises the actual people that are being considered scum on the streets.
4: Well, it, it, The fact that it focuses on people who are, quite literally, on the streets. Most of the people who get grabbed tend to be petty criminals overly aggressive ones admittedly um oh yeah but, we're
0: not exonerating the scum on the streets
4: no not at all but it tends to be this very stereotypical uh, alcohol smelling didn't shave for the last four days uh denim jacket ripped sleeved wearing butterfly knife wielding street thug who's got one hand round a woman's neck and got her up against a wall and ideally half a bottle of Jack in the other hand. Um, and apparently, Like a caricature
0: the- of a criminal.
4: Exactly. Apparently these are the people who are worthy of the attentions of Ghost Rider who is working for Satan and Batman and the like. <laughs> now, He's working for Batman? Well, that you were talking about Frank Miller.
0: Well, yeah. Again, this same <laughs> stuff turns up in Mark Steven Johnson's other film, um, yeah. uh, Daredevil. But and Simon Birch.
4: The, the question that I asked, and I, I think this still holds, why is Ghost Rider not going after the multi-million pound executive yeah, sitting head. in his penthouse suite, responsible for the deaths of thousands, if not millions, of people in some backwater country where their factory is poisoning the water?
0: And this is fine within the movie, because he's the only hero in the world, the anti-hero,
4: but in the Marvel Universe, he could go after Thanos! Oh, oh! That would be quite awesome. Or Galactus—he could make Galactus feel the pain of every individual he's ever swallowed. Ah,
0: but Galactus doesn't feel guilty about it. As far as he's concerned, it's—it's um, it's just food.
4: That—that's not what the penance stare seems to do, though. It's never it's tested, not...
0: though. It's never explored. It's just binary. You're either guilty or or you're innocent. He yes, gets locked but... in a cell with a bunch of prisoners, and he like he. Fries them all, except one kid in the corner who he points at and goes, innocent, also traumatised for life.
4: Yes, indeed. But if you look at what he says and and how he deals with um, uh, where's Bentley at the end. Oh, where's
0: fucking Bentley. He he
4: basically makes him feel the pain of all the souls within him.
0: Uh Uh-huh.
4: So, I got the impression that that's how the penance stare works, that it basically makes you feel the pain of all the people you've ever hurt.
0: And nothing to do with guilt. You may be right, but again, this is, uh, it's not explored. No, it's not.
4: (laughs) It's certainly not explained especially clearly. If
0: you're the sort of person for whom uh, Zero Dark Thirty made you feel very uncomfortable, if you're the sort of person for whom doesn't believe in the death penalty, this film may be troubling to you. If you loved Zero Dark Thirty and you think they didn't go far enough, and if you love the idea of executions, then you may like Ghost Rider. I like Ghost Rider, but it's troubling.
4: I didn't find it particularly troubling. I just found it a bit juvenile.
0: Yeah, I suppose because they haven't really put much thought into it and they kind of don't want you to think about the whole you know binary thing too much. Uh, it's just... Um, it's it's, just a, a, very, it's a
4: very simple, Yeah, it's a very simplistic, uh, semi-adolescent interpretation of what constitutes justice and morals and good and evil. And it's it's kind of easy to dismiss all of that and just look at the entertainment side of the film.
0: Yeah. It reminded me a bit of Highlander.
4: Yes, I can see that.
0: And then Christopher Lambert turned up in the second one, which reminded me of Highlander 2, The Quickening. <laughs>
4: Which we still haven't finished.
0: Technically, actually, the second one reminded me more of Highlander 3, The Sorcerer. Okay. (laughs) No, actually, because that was relatively good. Maybe it was Highlander 4.
4: Oh, my God, there's a Highlander 4? There's
0: like a Highlander 5.
4: Good grief. Um, Well, uh, one of the things that the first film has, which the second film doesn't have, is the character of Roxanne. Mm -hmm. And I really quite liked the way she was presented because in her younger incarnation she's she seems quite idealistic quite naive she's obviously you know very desperately in love with johnny and it's first love they're 16 17 and they're all swept away in the um in the the power of it and her dad doesn't want her to see him because she thinks he's he he thinks that Johnny's just this going nowhere carny who's Very young no good for her. Thing, exactly. yeah. So she comes up with this idea of them running away or I think Johnny suggests it and she goes along with it. But then when you see her when she's older it's not brilliant the way she's presented but it's a damn sight better than the vast majority of female characters mm. especially in superhero movies. She has a she career, actually, she's trying to be professional. Exactly and she she's actually there are layers to her. There's this brilliant scene where uh, they've arranged to meet up for a date they're going to meet at her hotel so she goes down to the restaurant and gets a table and sits there and waits for him and it's cutting back to him transforming into the rider so you know why he's not turning up but then it cuts back to the restaurant where she's it's all done relatively non-verbally you've got her sitting there sort of nervously looking at her phone mm. and then the waiter comes to pour us some wine and then um a couple of uh shots later it's obviously later in the evening and she's kind of urging the waiter to pour more wine yeah. and there's
0: a great um, bit where she goes you think i'm pretty don't you and the, the waiter who's been professional all night goes
4: "Eh," <laughs> which is great but it, it gets across this idea that she's She's insecure. You know, she's not this uh, magnificent, fragrant smelling blast from his past that's come to solve all his problems and, and save him from all the horror going on in his life. She's a human being and she's messed up and, and uncomfortable and, and has been left with some issues from him disappearing, although she does her best to say to him, you know, you I understand why your father had just died. You weren't thinking straight. I don't blame you. But It just, her reactions seem very human and very real. And for that reason, they are very funny. Unfortunately, this is all dispensed with about two thirds into the film when she simply becomes kidnapped victim number three.
0: Yeah. That's ridiculous. The the villain in this one is played by Wes Bentley. He of American beauty and four feathers. Uh, He's Blackheart, the son of the devil. Uh, If you ever played Marvel vs. Capcom 2, he was that sort of like big shadowy predator looking guy uh he just sort of he he just oozes around the place acting smug and trying to be threatening and he is one of the worst marvel villains uh on screen he's just dull not even worth talking about however one of his henchmen i don't even know what he's called old drippy or something he's basically moist from uh dr horrible he has the power to be wet he's a ridiculous like wet demon and he
4: looks a bit like old greg
0: yeah, he's old Greg, and uh, he he catches Ghost Rider and yanks him down under the water, and then Ghost Rider goes,
2: fooled you,
0: and then, like, incinerates him underwater, which doesn't make any sense. Nope. One of the best aspects of the movie, I don't even think was intentional, but after Johnny's been riding around the place on his motorbike... And, like, frying people's brains. And um, uh, Rebel Wilson, who you may remember from Bridesmaids as uh, uh, Kristen Wiig's unpleasant British roommate, um, turns up as, like, a goth girl who uh, he saves from a mugger and a rapist or, or both. And... Um, there's these two police officers, sort of trying to search down who's this crazy guy riding around on a bike on fire, and they think it might be Johnny because he rides a, you know, he's he's a he's a daredevil uh, stunt cycle guy, and you know they, he doesn't have an alibi and blah, And they're like badgering him, and one of them's really grumpy. And it's the mask. It's the mask. He may as well be Stanley Ipkiss. And there's a point. Where they, like, all the older police co- corner Ghost Rider and, like, hold, uh, like, pull their guns on him. And it would have been incredible if he'd broken out in Cuban Pete. Hit it. Because, like, I mean, his face, albeit on fire, isn't a million miles away from the mask. Mm -hmm. So that was just a weird parallel. It was. Um, It's a little strange. And probably the best part of the film if not for the almost Cuban peak bit, uh, is actually when Sam Elliott goes, right, we got to ride to San Costanza, or whatever the hell it's called, Sodom and Gomorrah of the West, like this cowboy town which exists out in the Arizona desert, or something like that. we got to ride across, and I've got one more ride left in me. Not two, not none, but one. I've got one left. I can only go with you this far, and only because it looks cool. And so they do. They just ride across the fucking planes and it plays this piece of music that's right of sidonia so yeah i mean the, the film is daft but enjoyable it's at the middle bottom of the uh, uh marvel movies the the 30 odd that have come out so far for me um but it's better than a lot of other ones
4: it's not as bad as electra
0: my god no electra for me is at the very very bottom uh, ghost rider is uh, still better for me than blade trinity the punisher spirit of vengeance Punisher Warzone and Electra. Okay, so Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance.
4: Oh.
2: There's good and bad in all of us. It doesn't matter how far you run, there are some demons you just can't escape. Help. This child is in danger. Daddy! I don't save people. If we don't help, the devil will have a new form. One more powerful than he's ever known. And a shadow will fall upon the earth. Save the boy and lift your curse. I've made a lot of mistakes. But Danny's one good thing I ever did. That being the case, we better make sure he doesn't turn out to be the
4: Antichrist.
0: There's nothing to say about this film.
4: There's certainly nothing good to say about this film.
0: This film could not be bothered. If you were on fire and this film had an entire bag of fucks and one fuck would put you out, this film would not give a fuck massive budget cut this one's 57 million the original ghost rider was 110 million Uh, nick cage who wore a wig in the first one and it pretty well blended it was like dark black and he looked like a relatively sort of middle-aged to to young man has abandoned that entirely and looks like a wreck he just looks just awful and you think oh that'll be good because they'll play into that he'll be like you know this time he drinks this time he's mad and sour and he's just dull he's just really really tedious there's a kid who the devil who's now been recast as Kieran Hines because Peter Fonda although apparently he did want to come back and do Ghost Rider 2 and God knows why um, he was like green screened in at the end of Ghost Rider 1 um, but uh, yeah, Kieran Hines is now the devil now, and he wants to get hold of a little boy named Dan Ketch. Now, Dan Ketch was the ghost rider who came after Johnny Blaze in the comics, so he was the 90s ghost rider. You would think they would make this film about Nick Cage passing his ghost rider abilities on to another young actor, possibly a crazy young actor. I don't know, off the top of my head, Matthew Lillard. Anybody as mental as Nick Cage to possibly carry on this film series? Because Nick Cage had no interest in doing any more afterwards. But no, the kid's a kid. And aside from a bit where he and the Ghost Rider share a discussion about that, like um, Ghost Rider likes to piss fire like a flamethrower. There's no real connection between the two. He 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 mutters stuff to the kid's mum in a truck. They're sort of trying to drive away from him. The guy who played AJ in Empire Records is chasing them for some reason. The devil turns him into a character named Blackout, not Blackheart. Don't get the two confused. They're both as boring as each other. Uh, The uh, makers of the film went on to say that they kind of took the name and the appearance of Blackout but didn't really focus on the powers of the character. No, no shit. There is no character to this film. It's just tedious. Somehow... Idris Elba is in this film and makes the best with what he has. He's, it's just like when he was in Prometheus. He's like, you know what? There's nothing really here for me to work with, but I'm just going to be me. And uh, he just has a little fun, does a little improv, um, talks about wine. He has, a, he has an outrageous French accent. And uh, you'd think that would be the best bit. No, 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 no. The best bit comes up about 33 minutes in and it's around the point, about the point that you're just about to nod off and Nick Cage has been sleepwalking his way through this movie and he plays kind of good cop, bad cop with a guy he's trying to get information out of he's, he basically starts to turn into the, the rider and going, oh You're
1: talking
2: to Kerrigan I talked to a lot of people Hey, I got what you need for those shakes, my friend mm. Kerrigan must have told me about that thing that killed his men last night, huh? Yeah? That thing is inside of me. See, you're a bad man. And this thing, the rider, he feeds on famine and he's hungry. He's hungrier than he's been years, and that's why I'm shaking. Because right now, the only thing standing between you and the rider is me. And he's just. He's, just he's, uh, he's scraping at the door. Scraping at the door! Oh uh, uh, uh. and right, if you don't tell me what I want to know, I'm gonna let him out. Now what is that with you, there won't be anything left. Do you understand? Do you understand? Shake your head yes uh, or no. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Good. Good girl. Uh-huh. Where's Kerrigan? What the kid, the oh, kid can't You will tell me, I will eat your stinking <laughs> oh, The quarry for more gods, more men, is putting together goddamn army. I know the place. Well, you're not gonna this conversation anyone, are you? No. Uh, uh, oh yeah. Alright,
0: well, a good, idea. Yeah, good I think that actor was genuinely afraid of Nick Cage. I think Nick Cage was being dreadfully unprofessional there, in a situation that did not call for that level of intensity. He's like, oh, I'm about to change. You don't want to let the other guy out. He's there I can feel him screeching up the door and wow. like... Sorry. Well, he shrieks. And he's like, he's, it's like he's a uh, smack at it going into insane withdrawal. And it suddenly woke me up and I was shrieking with laughter. And then like he's riding away and screaming, ah! and sort of half turning into the Ghost Rider. And then the film goes back to sleep again. And for the rest of the film, it just sort of potters on and then it ends. That's it. That was Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. What, the, the, the most lazy, pointless Marvel movie apart from Electra. Uh, although that one bit is still better than all of Punisher Warzone. Anything else you want to add to about this one?
4: No, I don't think that. It, like I said, there really is nothing to. Not even recommend it. There's nothing to mark it as having existed. It's just the,
5: pointless.
0: They don't go into the mythology, they don't go into the penance stare, they don't really explain it. Like, he he grabs people and, like, fries them. And, like, but basically, it's just Rider getting into a series of fights. But they're very far spaced apart. They're boring to watch. And there's nothing about him being the devil's messenger anymore. He's just burning men alive.
5: Mm.
0: And they're all like henchmen and mercenaries. And they're the only people he meets. It's like a video game. A really crap video game where everyone you meet you have to kill. It's dull. It's very dull. And that's it. That was it for Ghost Rider. Marvel have since reappropriated the Ghost Rider... License, I would like to think this guy will turn up in one of the Netflix series. That's his, he's street level. Mm. Those are the kind of criminals that he deals with. We've already said, you know, he could deal with the bigger guys, but no, he deals with the people that day Daredevil and Luke Cage and Iron Fist and uh, Jessica Jones deal with. The studio has no immediate plans to make another Ghost Rider film. And that's it. That was Ghost Rider. Nostalgia Critic pointed out something really important, just in a throwaway comment, about Johnny Whitworth's character, Ray Corrigan, in the, the villain in this. He, he said that uh, he was here to play the Deacon Frost character from every David S. Goyer screenplay. And I'd forgotten that David S. Goyer actually wrote this. Now, Goyer is hugely, hugely influential on comic book movies. Or he has been involved with some world-class superhero movies. But he has also steered other movies in really grim, terrible directions. The Crow, City of Angels. He wrote the uh, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield movie, the one with uh, David Hasselhoff in it. He wrote Blade, which is, you know, one of his better works. Uh, he wrote Blade Two. Uh, he wrote Blade Trinity, which was beyond terrible. And significantly, he directed. Blade Trinity. So he had full control there. Uh, He wrote Batman Begins, and that was his peak. This was was actually written very much in collaboration with Christopher Nolan. Uh, It was... uh, Goya did the story and uh, Nolan had a lot of influence on the screenplay. Uh, But if we go back, uh, he also wrote Jumper, which is one of the worst superhero movies of all time. So bad, it has in fact been forgotten by history. That's the one with um, Anakin Skywalker in it. Hayden Christensen. Co-wrote the story... For The Dark Knight. One of the greatest superhero comic book related movies of all time. Okay, so maybe that was his peak. But then he did the script for uh, Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. And then he did the script for The Dark Knight Rises. And then he did the script for The Man of Steel. And uh, now he's on the uh, script for Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice. And Nostalgia Critic's right. All of those films have a smug... Posturing, spiteful man who's villainous for seemingly no reason, megalomaniacal so I think the twist in Blade Trinity was that that young man was played by Parker Posey, but in Batman Begins you've got uh, Jonathan Crane is basically that guy Blade 1, you've got Deacon Frost, Blade 2 I feel like Guillermo del Toro gave some dimension to Nomak, the, uh, uh, the guy played by Luke Goss But in Man of Steel, Zod is just evil for the sake of evil. Just crazy and genocidal and angry all the time and just full of hate. That's it. Nothing else to him. And in in, uh, Batman vs Superman, from the outside, Jesse Eisenberg's Lex Luthor is not a million miles away from Deacon Frost in Blade. Just smug and posturing, and maybe I'm wrong. May- I hope I am, because people have said from the previous screenings that Eisenberg is more noteworthy than uh, a lot of the rest of the film. So-, so maybe, in fact, that Lex Luthor has quite a lot of dimension to him. But keep an eye on him, would you? This is Goya is the guy who said that She Hulk only exists so that the Hulk has someone around to fuck. Okay, first off, Jesus Christ, I can't believe you said that at like a Comic Con. That's an awful thing to say. Secondly, Jennifer Walter is Bruce Banner's cousin, you ignorant twit. Thirdly, if you're going to blow that one off as kind of, well, I'm not supposed to expect it to know about Marvel Comics. Yeah, you kind of are. If you're going to be writing at your best for a series of comic book adaptations, you kind of need to know what your competitors are doing, and you kind of need to know the history of both studios. It's not a prerequisite. You don't have to know it. But if you don't know anything about some one of those characters, keep your mouth shut about them. Especially if it's a female character that you're sort of blowing off and going... Blah, blah, blah. In an industry starved of female characters headlining. My God! But this is the guy who dismissed She-Hulk. This is the guy who dismissed uh, Martian Manhunter. John Jones, one of the most interesting characters in the Justice League animated show... Uh, Because no one wants to know about some weird green Martian dude. This is, this is a, it's a, it's a genuinely worrying guy to be in the driver's seat, or at least one of the driver's seats, uh, for the DC Cinematic Universe, because he's going to have a huge influence. And his grasp on what makes for a good antagonist is infantile. And without guidance, he can be a genuinely tedious writer. So, that's David S. Goya. On to Punisher.
2: I can't believe I'm home, and I could ever be so lucky. We're not lucky. We are blessed. All right, everybody, quiet down. This is the first family reunion we've had in five years. To the future. The future. <laughs> Was something my family would never see. No! My dead family. They thought they murdered me. They were wrong. They were dead wrong. That man must die. Oh! your memories kill you. They can't kill me I'm already dead
0: oh yes drowning pool that's my jam Holmes Thomas Jane John Travolta make castle dead whatever
3: it takes, whatever
2: it costs. This is not revenge it's punishment
0: Remind us to tell you about the My Dead Family trope that we have developed over the past year when we cover Daredevil Season 2. And frankly, Batman v Superman. Because I feel like it's going to apply. <laughs> Frankly. Okay, so The Punisher from 2004, followed very swiftly by Punisher Warzone from 2007. Uh, what, let's start with The Punisher, shall we? We're, we're not going to review the, uh, um, the original The Punisher from 1989. I'm not gonna con- we're not going to concern ourselves with what Marvel did prior to Blade. But this one was uh, effectively a reboot of the only one that they attempted before, aside from Captain America. Mob hit. Frank is the only one left alive, and my dead family. He puts on a black t-shirt with a skull on it that I think his kid was like, hey, it's like um, a Mardi Gras thing, one of those Skeletor is great parades. And it's like the, the skull imbues him with the power to kill people not literally, it's just a symbol he, he embarks on a roaring rampage of revenge to try to find the uh, the, the men who killed his dead family and um, he kills them kills them all, just like Deadpool but with no humour at all and it takes a lot longer and then he's the Punisher the end none shall be pardoned and all punished said that go with the ice slowly I think he lives <sighs> See, we've just seen Warzone, so it's really hard to get um, pumped up to talk about The Punisher. I really didn't, like, really didn't like Warzone. So uh, so cast your mind back to the the Thomas Jane Punisher. What's good about it?
4: Okay, Uh, what's good about it? Roy Scheider.
0: Yep, he's in it for, like, six minutes.
4: He is. Um, And...
0: The denizens of the apartment block were quite fun. The uh, as in yes, D- Dave uh, and uh, yeah, uh,
4: Rebecca, Romain Romain. Is, uh, Joan, and yeah. Ben Foster. Yeah, Dave.
0: Who and... usually I don't like, but in this he was uh, he was one of the best things.
4: Yeah, um, the uh, the scene in which he is tortured uh, to try and get him to reveal Frank's location, and doesn't. Actually, really affected me. Like, properly affected me. I mean, I, I, I have very negative reactions to um, scenes of torture, anyway. But the fact that this was somebody who uh, um, was quite harmless and sweet, and was and behaved in a very loyal way uh, to protect somebody else and just genuinely did not deserve to have any of that done to him Mm. actually left me quite, um, shaken, emotionally shaken. yeah. Yeah. Um, which surprised me. I had not expected to be emotionally shaken by anything in the Punisher
0: or engaged in any way.
4: No, no. Um, I actually thought Thomas Jane was quite good. I mean, the, by and large, the script was a pile of tosh and the, there were things that just didn't make sense uh, and uh, I, I would have liked to see more of uh, Frank reacting to um, his, his the loss of his family. It seems and, to and jump
0: from the loss of his family to suddenly he's dealing with it and he's going on the hunt.
4: Yeah, I mean, I I can kind of understand what they were going for, the idea that he basically suppresses all of his emotion over the situation until the end when his job is done.
0: But there's no significant scene where that is apparent.
4: Exactly. You just kind of
0: have to assume it because there's no payoff to the actual killing of his family. That's Uh, right. We haven't really talked about the plot. (sighs) Frank Castle is an FBI agent. He gets off the case. He's done his last case. He goes back to his um, wife and child who he's been leaving – to to do his work for all of these years and he's going to finally get some quality time with them but then the mob uh, led by john travolta who came out of nowhere it's like what well, hang on a second first of all don't stick john travolta in your film if if the lead character is played by thomas jane who is nowhere near as well renowned it, it appears like they were trying for like a 1989 batman thing here it's like yeah you know what no one knows tom jane but they know john travolta
4: his um, greatest claim to fame seems to be that he looks a bit like Christopher Lambert.
0: I, I, he was in Boogie Nights, which he was great, in. he was in Deep Blue Sea, which I like. But even though it's Tosh, but um, so oh, yeah, that's yeah.
4: where I remember him from. Yes,
0: his 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 lovely family are horribly killed um, in a mob hit in Miami. He's not a Vietnam vet anymore because then he'd be in his like sixties or seventies. Yeah, like I say, FBI agent. And so he, rather than going on like a sort of a a killing spree, he enacts a very um, dedicated... uh, John Travolta hates him because uh, his case led to the death of John Travolta's son. So he enacts a... a, a, What would be the word? Like a Count of Monte Cristo, Machiavellian style. It is.
4: It's it's very intricate, isn't it? I
0: will destroy you, John Travolta, with... Clever framing of your family. So he makes it look like John Travolta's wife is uh, uh, having an affair with John Travolta's. Um,
4: First Lieutenant. First Lieutenant. Best friend.
0: And I want to say the name of the character John Travolta plays, which is Howard Saint, but he's just John Travolta. Uh, and uh, yeah, his, uh, his second in command is um, Will Patton again. Hey. Um, and, and yeah, Frank basically spends the latter half of the movie sort of just setting all of these pins up to be knocked down at the end when John Travolta kills his own wife and best friend, and then um, Frank turns up, kills everyone and goes, ha ha, I tricked you, and then sets him on fire, and there's a great big flaming punisher symbol, just like the crow, just like Daredevil, and the end. That's the film. Oh, in between, while he's um, doing this planning, he's living in a crappy apartment building with a bunch of uh, kooky oddball neighbours who kind of invite him in and make him part of their broken family which is touching and unexpected for this and it's not entirely sloppily handled and so when um, Will Patton comes calling and starts torturing uh, one of them, Dave yeah, you do kind of feel it and then when Frank gets into a big fight with a giant guy in like a stripy sailor suit, the Russian I believe he's, he's called in the, this is based on uh, Garth Ennis' Welcome Back Frank uh, miniseries um, and the Punisher Year One uh, that's it. I mean, it's not. what is there to say? That there's, there's some violence. It's not the most sickening you're ever going to see. There's a neat little bit of uh, fake torture where he gets a guy, hangs him upside down, tells him he's about to um, burn him with a blowtorch and that it's going to hurt. It's going to burn so much as he sears the nerve endings off, it'll almost feel cold. And actually he's jabbing him with a popsicle while burning a steak, which is kind of, Again, unexpectedly funny. And again, there are enough quirky little moments in this to elevate it above the absolute garbage it could have been. And then it ends on music which is like... Which kind of steps on that.
2: Exercise is my veto, man. Yeah, well, it's only nine o'clock. I mean, you sure you want to do that, Mark? Listening to this crap is guaranteed to make you sterile. Yeah, maybe I want to be sterile.
0: Samantha Mathis plays his wife, Maria, and I would like to see more of her, but unfortunately she has to die horribly for the Punisher to want to punish people. Again, yeah. though, um we're, we're uh, entering into the territory of uh, the comics that and it's really hard to make a judgment on the Punisher comic without also making a judgment on the Punisher fans, which is not something I want to do because it's not fair on real people. Uh, but it's really hard to read comics where super right wing man takes it to the streets and punishes and kills people, especially considering what happened this weekend where we're recording it.
4: I think... If I was going to say one overall positive thing about The Punisher, it's that they do at least go for an emotional <laughs> core to the story. And to a degree, they succeed.
0: A lot of Punisher fans didn't like this, though. They wanted something harder, nastier, and uh, with less heart. And they got it.
4: Well, they friggin' got it, didn't they?
0: In the shape of Punisher Warzone, released in uh, 2008, uh, so this would have been, uh, let see, December 2008. After Iron Man, after The Incredible Why polish, did they bother? It made $10 million. It cost $35 million. I, I'll t- whether, why did they bother or not, they shouldn't have. In terms of uh, a cash investment, this was a bomb. It lost $25 million. Good. <laughs> well so deserved. It means yeah, no absolutely. more of these are being made right now. Uh, yes.
3: This isn't like any procedure that we've ever done before. Well, that's why I'm here, Doc. Your facial muscles, tendons, bone structure, everything. It was destroyed.
2: Evil has many faces. You look fantastic, brother. Yes. Darkness has many allies. This deal is going down tonight. Raise your army. But there is only one who punishes them all. This is just the beginning.
1: Welcome, welcome, welcome.
2: Let's play a game. God be with you, Frank. Sometimes I'd like to get my hands on God. You're fighting a war.
0: Ray Stevenson takes over, uh, and they do the Incredible Hulk thing where they retcon the um, uh, the origin. And, and while it technically follows on from the Punisher, they change the origin so that it's a definite different universe. Um, and it's a grim, grim universe. I, I don't really know what to say on this. It, it's... it's the best way of describing it is it just goes boring, boring, plod, plod, moop, moop, sickening, horrible violence, sometimes amusingly so. Plod, plod, moop, moop, nothing, nothing. Oh, that bit was actually quite touching. No, no, sickening, horrible violence, plod, plod, moop, moop. Oh, that, that bit was also quite good. Sickening violence, bloop, moop, 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 sickening violence, 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 end. That's the film. If it, if it was just sickening violence the whole way through, it would be like The Raid. It would be orgiastic in its intensity. But because it's got so much moop, 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 it's tedious as hell to watch. Now, I'm coming at it from uh, the wrong angle since I don't like watching the best crime thrillers ever made. I don't like watching The Godfather. I did not care for The Godfather. I, the Godfather's brilliant. I will not dispute that. Godfather, Godfather Two, absolutely brilliant. We may even do a podcast on them because they are there is an absolute elegance to that. They are fantastically crafted films. But I don't like watching Scorsese. I don't like watching The Wire, starring Dominic West, who's in this. I don't like watching Breaking Bad. I don't. I don't like watching The Sopranos. This is the best gangster related crime related fiction on screen small and big you could possibly imagine so this low rent absolute shite i can't stand my brain goes off it goes well i'm going to take a little holiday while all this stuff is going on now when it cuts back to the punisher Ray Stevenson's very serious about the role and there are times when he sort of he shot an FBI agent accidentally and he sort of tries to get involved with the wife so that he can atone for this and apologize and give him his widow and daughter some money so to make sure that they're safe and they get all tied up in the um, the, the the shit that's going down in, in his world. And uh, that stuff is the bit that I said, oh, that bit's quite good, but it's so weighed down by all the moop, moop, moop. Dominic West plays Jigsaw, who gets horribly torn to shreds in a glass crusher and then comes back all... I mean, they appear to be under the impression they've got Jack Nicholson's Joker on their hands. They're like, this guy's crazy off the wall. And he brings in... Tombs from the X Files, Percy, Doug Hutchinson, Looney Bin Jim, who's just like, you know, he'll chew your kidneys out. And I'm not kidding, he literally chews a guy's kidneys out at one point. You'd think that would be brilliant and hilarious, but it's just tedious to watch. It's just tedious. And so the violence is just tedious as well because it doesn't matter what's happening. There are occasional moments like when he he kicks open a door and there's guys inside going, what? And he shoots him with two bullets and the guy's head just explodes. And and it's just sort of a moment of, "Ah, ah, ah." and then it just carries on. The whole shootout at the end is just like watching somebody plod their way through a Call of Duty deathmatch. Only, it's not in first person, you're actually watching Frank kicking down doors and shooting guys. This this is exhausting to talk about. Then stop. I wanna. (laughs) Sharon, I mean, this actually made you just like freak, just and gross out me and freak feel out. Sick. Yeah. yeah, I,
4: I, I wouldn't say freak out because there was, there was no emotional engagement in the, the story or the plot or the people that these things were happening. Ironically, to. Ironically,
0: one of them, the, uh, the widow Julie Benz, Shield of Dexter, mm. should really have engaged a lot more there. Should I? Mm-hmm.
4: Yes. Um, also, small child, close in age to my own daughter.
0: Yeah, should have engaged. Should have engaged
4: there. But, but no.
0: the kid seems to be oblivious to the fact that her mother's holding a gun on the Punisher for a good eight minutes at one point.
4: I actually found myself thinking, and I'm almost ashamed to admit this. I say eight
0: minutes. It was it it, it felt like eight minutes was actually only a tiny bit of the film. Uh,
4: yeah. I actually found myself thinking towards the end when they have uh, uh, mother and daughter tied up in a warehouse while half of... Um, whatever city this is it new york yet yeah, it, it doesn't york. matter um half the city's crime gangs waiting there to to shred frank to pieces when he comes in to try and rescue them um part of me was thinking if they actually have these two females innocent females i might add killed that would at least suggest that they are committing to this apparent total nihilism that they're going for here um Must be exhausting. That, well indeed Um, the the fact that Frank had declared that this was going to be his last job and then he was giving up punishing um, but (coughs) if they got killed it would give him motivation to carry on punishing which is obviously what we all want to happen
0: well it's hard out Um, there for a punisher
4: so it would appear but no it, it didn't they didn't even have the courage of their own convictions to do that everybody else everybody else gets shredded to a bone grinding pulp Um, but the innocent people are allowed to walk off with Colin Salmon into the sunset.
5: I forgot
0: Colin Salmon was in this. I've seen this twice. Uh, It it was directed by Lexi Alexander, which is notable because at least it's a female director, but unfortunately that's a director that probably isn't going to be hired for much more considering her last film lost $25 million.
4: Well, indeed. I'm shrugging here. That's, That's... I suppose yes, it's noticeable. Noticeable, it's notable that they were willing to take on a female director for something that was so obviously designed to pander to testosterone mm. overload.
0: I suppose just like uh, Catherine Bigelow, and that is a very kind comparison. She directs in say. a in a very masculine style.
4: You so, like, could just argue
0: that, with testosterone, and and just this grim fucking perspective
4: you, you could argue that but catherine bigelow's good catherine bigelow has characters
0: yeah. it's produced by gail Ann heard but written by uh three men
4: gail and i i honestly don't think this is a, a the the presence of a couple of women in the crew on this it does not Gail Ann Hurd is not just
0: one of a couple to. of women. No, she's I know, the most I understand. Powerful that. directors in Hollywood. Producers, not directors.
4: But she's also. hasn't she produced, like, a number of Marvel movies?
0: Uh, she produced The Incredible Hulk, The Punisher, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, Hulk. That was it. Terminator 2, Judgment Day, a little film you might remember. And The Terminator, and Aliens. Yeah, this is a talented woman. But, you know, she also produced Virus, so... and Aeon Hey, floods. nobody's
4: perfect. Nobody's
0: perfect. How do we finish this off? I'm glad the Punisher series has finished. I would like to see the Punisher turn up in the Daredevil Netflix series.
2: Now, is that an official wish? Say the magic words. Genie, I wish for the Punisher to be in Daredevil.
0: All right! Yo, yo, woo, woo. Along with Ghost Rider But uh, you, you said And this is absolutely correct It's going to be really hard to bring Ghost Rider Into the Marvel Cinematic Universe Yes Because you're basically confirming the existence of the devil Which also confirms the existence of God Kind of I yes. mean it's, it's, even if um, It never actually did so in the comics It is implied To some degree the existence of The devil suggests some sort of Existence of a divine power
4: Yeah, I mean, there are ways they could do it, um, but...
0: The character's not important enough to make that huge change to the MCU.
4: Indeed. I mean, the the structure of the MCU as it stands at the moment, they have uh, lined it up so that um, gods are, in fact, alien beings. Mm. And uh, magic is, in fact... Science, but from somewhere else. And if you introduce uh, actual God and actual Satan and actual spiritual soul collectors with flaming heads and flamethrower piss, um, then... <laughs>
0: <laughs> that was an addition to... to the second Ghost Rider film. Indeed.
4: You, you kind of have to then accommodate that within the... Uh, the the physics structure that you have set up in this universe, and that 's one of the things that makes me the most frustrated with uh, fantasy type you know sci-fi fantasy films is when they go out of their way to set up a particular physical structure to this universe and then get inc- inconsistent with it as long as they are consistent with their own rules i 'm fine with that yeah. but if you bring in something new halfway through just because you wanted to put ghost Rider in it, then i think i 'm going to have to query
0: best link at the moment is actually Doctor Strange it's so weird to think that the Punisher exists in the same universe as the Guardians of the Galaxy it's so weird I mean in the uh, the actual Marvel 616 universe there's so much stuff from differing areas and you know it's like Google Maps you just keep zooming in and in and in and in and in from the very very top you're looking at the earth and you keep zooming zooming in and when you can see the filth on the pavement you're in Punisher territory
4: well, to be fair, I mean, you could say that from a certain perspective—a very privileged perspective, I admit—but from a certain perspective, it is difficult to believe that dysentery and malaria exist in the same world as iPhones.
5: Yeah.
4: We can do this. Why can't we fix that?
0: See, that, that's a good way of compar- comparing them. Guardians of the Galaxy is an iPhone. Punisher. <laughs>
5: Punisher, is Punisher One is dysentery. Malaria.
0: Punisher two, Warzone is malaria. Oh. Actually no, Punisher 1 is neither dysentery nor malaria Punisher 1 is just a sore throat Punisher Warzone Is dysentery and malaria
4: At the same time At the
0: same time <sighs> Okay, while we're at it then Let's do Electra For centuries
1: A war has been waged in the shadows By two armies Born of incredible powers and yet, it is said there lives a warrior with the ability to tip the balance between good and evil.
0: And that warrior is Buffy the Vampire Slayer. No, Blade. No, Highlander. No, Celine from Underworld. No, Dante. No, Constantine. No, The Last Witch Hunter. No, The Seventh Son. No, Anakin Skywalker. No, Emmett from the Lego Movie. Do you see now why the Lego Movie was so very much needed to
4: shake this shit up?
1: But first, she must choose.
4: We got ourselves a
2: new offer. i will call you when you get the target. I'm Mark Miller. We're in the little cabin, two houses now. Her name's Electra, Dad. Like the tragedy. Her parents must have had a sense of humor. Not really. Where's her mother? She died a couple of years ago. My mother died when I was young. I'm not gonna do it.
5: We'll just send somebody else
2: a. There'll be more coming. We have failed to solve the problem. The task is yours. Completed.
1: Why did you really save them, Electra? Some kind of down payment on your sin? She saved my life and my daughter's. That's enough for me.
5: Now, Electra, the
1: time
2: has come for you to decide. They're here. So you really used to kill people. That's what I'm good at. I'm not a good person to get involved
0: with. Because we promised this during the Daredevil show, and we never really delivered on this, and uh, we may as well, because we're, we're doing this, this with these whipping boys. The Punisher and Ghost Rider have in common the whole seeing the world in this awful black and white way where people are either guilty and deserve to die. Like a mugger at the end of war zone, uh, you know, just sort of turns up and goes, yo, yo man, give me your wallet. And then the Punisher turns up and shoots him in the head because now we're shooting muggers in the head. And actually, um, after this, uh, we, we watched the 10 minute short dirty laundry, which is an an unlicensed uh, Punisher fan film starring Thomas Jane as Frank. Uh, it never says the Punisher, but it does show the skull motif at the end. Uh, he's doing his laundry. He sees a kid getting bullied by street hoods who seem like they're about to just basically kill him in the street. Goes across the street, talks to Ron Perlman in the liquor store. One of the best scenes in all of the Punisher related stuff we've seen in the past few days. Uh, purely and,
4: for the presence of ron Pellman.
0: yeah because of the, the the gravitas that guy brings uh, and pelman basically says you know you just kind of want to give up and not do anything because he got put in a wheelchair trying to defend a girl on the same street from the same people and uh then he buys a bottle of jack goes across the street and does horrible things to all of these men who all end up dead with a bottle of jack daniels and that's it that's 10 minutes that may as well have been Warzone. at least it would have been 10 minutes long
4: Yes, very true. And have had Ron Perlman. I kept thinking through that. All of these guys that he's beating the living shit out of with this bottle. Bad choices, the lot of them. Do none of them deserve the opportunity to go, you know what, I've fallen in with a bad crowd I'll change my ways. I'll join the scouts.
0: Exactly what I was thinking. There was a guy holding a knife and I thought, okay, right, but all these other guys just standing around who might be experiencing all kinds of emotions, fear, pressure, being trapped in a lifestyle that means that you can't get out of this situation. All of this stuff that the wire puts across. I can't watch that, but at least the wire goes out of its way to show that this is not a black and white world. The punisher does the opposite. It says, fucking kill everyone and save the innocent
4: if i think there's a line in war zone where um he he goes into a church and he has a conversation with the priest that suggests that he at one point was intending to become a priest himself is that part of the actual punisher story i don't care fair answer um and the priest obviously quotes him um something saying (laughs) judge not lest ye also be judged, or something along those lines. And Frank basically says, I'm cool with that. And sets fire to a posh
0: hammer to make it official.
4: (laughs) That's the extent of the conversation. He is absolutely fine with being judge, jury, and executioner.
2: He's not judge, jury, and executioner.
4: (laughs) (laughs) To all of these people whose lives, experiences, and situations he cannot possibly understand... Um,
0: it's just you choose the way of crime they don't deserve punishment they deserve gunishment
4: it's ridiculous we seem to have veered off Electra
0: oh that's because it's so boring right? Punisher Warzone is the second to worst Marvel film for me my, li- my second least favourite because of those occasional moments where Ray Stevenson has a moment those bring it above Electra Electra is just boring there's nothing in Electra it just happens and that's it and then it finishes it's the most boring movie with a Marvel character that's ever been made and everyone who has ever seen it will agree except for like one person on my Twitter feed who said I really like Electra I don't want to get into an argument with him he's entirely entitled to that in fact I I would like someone to tell me why Electra is any good because they're in a severe minority. And I Mm. I sometimes find people in a severe minority able to express themselves in an interesting way. That's fascinating. If you can actually speak for a lecture and say, I like it because of X, Y, Z, because I've watched this film twice and I can't find a thing in it to recommend. Jennifer Garner is easy on the eye. That's pretty much it.
4: (laughs) See, right, for me... I, I would say the reverse of this and publish a Warzone because Jennifer Garner is easy on the eye, and also Electra didn't make me feel physically sick.
0: Okay, so maybe Warzone's worse.
4: For do me, have, yes. Do you have
0: your worst, yeah.
4: yeah.
0: <sighs> it's, it, you know what? They may as well be at the bottom, share in the bottom spot. I hate them both for different reasons. It's, I'm not going to argue in either of their favor. Um, Electra. Following on from Daredevil, we think, uh, Electra Nachios gets brought back to life by the, nin- the good ninjas who can bring people back to life and then goes to... She gets set up by Terence Stamp to kill a girl who's the treasure and... Th- is she the is She, the tri- she gets set up by Terence Stamp to kill a girl. She decides against killing the girl and then decides to defend the girl and her tedious, dull-as-onions father um, against the Hand, the bad ninjas. And then you find out later that Terrence Stamp knew she was going to uh, uh, do that, knew that she was going to decide to protect this girl who... And they've been talking about the treasure, this incredible martial arts prodigy the whole way through, you're like, oh, obviously Electra is this treasure. No, it's this girl. And, you know, the girl lost her mother, so Electra, who also lost her mother and developed something of an electro complex, sort of bonds with her. But it sounds a lot more interesting than I'm saying, because most of the time it's just Jennifer Garner in a room, or standing on the side of the, the of Lake Tahoe, staring out into the distance, and thinking, and thinking, and thinking, and staring, and, staring and thinking, and thinking, and staring. It's well photographed, I suppose. There's a bit where some like hand ninjas turn up And bear bear in mind this does have an odd Relevance to the Wolverine Some hand ninjas turn up up and go We're the hand ninjas And like there's some like special ninjas Like one of them is Typhoid And she has the power to make people feel sick Physically sick Kind of like watching the Punisher Warzone Indeed (laughs) And there's a bunch of other ones that I don't care about
4: And that's Electra, folks
0: Uh, There's a fight between (sighs) I'm bored there's a bit where Elektra throws her sigh through a maze and it hits Typhoid and kills her before she's able to kill the, the treasure. There's a bit where Typhoid kisses Electra, and it's like, wow, girl-on-girl girl kiss, how racy. This made $56 million. It cost $43 million.
4: So actually turned a profit.
0: Yeah, relative to, say, the Punisher war zone. But yeah, if you did like Electra, or Punisher Warzone or Punisher or Ghost Rider or Ghost Rider the Spirit of Vengeance, let us know in the forum. We won't judge at all. We want to know why these films are good. In the case of Ghost Rider 1, I like it. I think as far as I'm concerned, that's the best that Ghost Rider could possibly be. And now we're going to get fans of Ghost Rider going, no, it's not. In which case, tell us how better Ghost Rider could be. Because we these are oddities for us. These are the films at the bottom of the list that we don't actually care that much about. But we kind of want to cover because it's Marvel. I should, I should call it The Dregs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Next to these ones, Daredevil seems like the fucking Dark Knight. Anyway. That was the dregs, folks. Anything else on Electric? Anything, anything good? It was written by Zach Penn, who also wrote the story for X-Men 2, uh, the most of X-Men 3, The Last Stand, some of The Incredible Hulk before it got taken over by various other people, Edward Harrison and Edward Norton, and the story for The Avengers before Joss basically crossed out everything he'd done and wrote a new one. This is the same Zack Penn who's writing Pacific Rim 2, which has now lost its director, Guillermo del Toro, one of the greatest directors who has ever lived, and gained the showrunner of the Netflix Daredevil as a director. So that's kind of dropped off my list of uh, must-see sequels to my favourite films of all time. It's important to note that the poor performance of Elektra at the box office and Catwoman, which came out around about the same time, had a serious, debilitating effect on female-led superhero movies from that point onwards. The Joss Whedon Wonder Woman, which was in the works at that point with Warner Brothers, was canned. They cancelled Wonder Woman coming onto the scene at around about the same time as Batman Begins because of this. So really, she makes her big-screen debut in a giant Batman film. I mean, Superman's there, but he's dressed as Batman. And Batman's dressed as double Batman. I mean, this is a Batman film aimed at 35-year-old Batman fans. And fuck women, fuck kids. Not literally fuck kids. But that appears to be the marketing ethos. And that's the tone they're going to carry on with. And then eventually, after testing the waters with her there, her other film comes out the year after. Rather than her having her own Thor style debut and then turning up in an Avengers, they didn't. Warner Brothers still, right now, don't have the faith in Wonder Woman that she can stand on her own until she's been tested in this movie. Now, it's not Electra's fault that Warner Brothers made these ridiculous decisions, but she gets an especial fuck you for this being the excuse that they gave. Let's leave on something a lot more positive, though. Uh, this is the always brilliant. The Idea Channel, talking about Nicolas Cage and his
3: particular brand of... organized chaos. Here's an idea. At the intersection of Taoism and YOLO, you'll find Nicolas Cage. On this, the 15-year, two-month, and nine-day anniversary of the theatrical release of Con Air, we thought it was as good a time as any to celebrate Nicolas Cage. Whether he's an Italian bakery owner, an alcoholic screenwriter, a professional car thief, a witch hunter, or a street-tough maverick with nothing to lose, Nicolas Cage sells his roles with arresting conviction. Now,
2: in the name of Zeus's butthole, Did you get out of yourself?
3: Which must be tough, as both Ben Sanderson and the guy from Drive Angry. (laughs) Most superstar celebrity actors try to appear in exclusively good movies, which advance their careers. But Nick seems to be operating on a different criteria. And what is this criteria? This is the mystery of Nick Cage. In a superficial kind of way, much of what Nick does could actually fly under the banner of YOLO. Not cool! YOLO is an acronym that stands for you only live once and stresses that one's time on Earth is but a fleeting occurrence. And so why not take advantage of your luck by doing something irresponsible or possibly dangerous? You can apply YOLO to many things, like eating a box of Oreos, going bungee jumping, or like Nick does, choosing movie roles. He chooses roles which allow him to just go for it an approach he has called a modern art style of performance, or acting outside the box, or even nouveau shamanic. Nick also approaches his real life with the same devil-may-care, YOLO attitude that he does his roles. Cage once bought a $25,000 octopus. YOLO. He named his son Kyle el after Superman. YOLO. He outbid Leonardo DiCaprio on a quarter of a million dollar dinosaur skull. YOLO. You get the idea. Also, I really want to stop shouting YOLO. Incidentally, none of this seems fluky. Good movies, bad movies, solid decisions, questionable life choices. They all seem to jive. I wonder, is there something deeper than YOLO going on here? I mean, in practice, YOLO is just something that teenagers shout before they throw sandwiches. What Nick does seems to be something other than YOLO's frivolous surface-level carpe diem, something like a guiding principle or a Tao of Nick Cage. And if there were a Tao of Nick Cage, it would probably resemble that of Zhuangzi Tzu pretty closely. Zhuangzi Tzu was not your garden-variety 4th century BCE Chinese philosopher. I mean, yeah, he communed with nature, nature, but he also might have been the first anarchist and had conversations with skulls about about how death might not actually be that bad. Translator Martin Palmer describes him as being fed by shamanism. He uses humor, shock tactics, silly names, the weirdest characters, and totally unbelievable scenarios to make us look again at what we hold true. In his self-titled philosophical work, Master Chuang argues that the world contains infinite information and experience. But as humans, we only have a finite amount of time to learn or act, which makes planning your life or weighing your options an exercise in futility. Master Chuang wrote that the perfect man is pure in spirit. Such a person rides the clouds and mounts upon the sun and moon and wanders across and beyond the four seas. Neither death nor life concern him, nor is he interested in what is good or bad. Sound familiar?
2: I'm a vampire! I'm a vampire!
3: I'm a vampire! philosophy is definitely the dow of YOLO, and maybe the dow of Nick Cage, for whom the absurdity and excitement of experience trumps all other methods of choosing roles, or home furnishings. But all this might warrant some comparisons. I mean, Nick Cage isn't the only weird actor. Really, what about Tom Cruise, or Britney Spears, or, Carrot Top. We don't celebrate their weird badness in the way we do Cage's. We point and laugh and cringe. Maybe the explanation is that Nick Cage seems genuine in everything he does. Whereas Britney's head shaving episode really felt like a weird, sad cry for attention and, Everything Tom Cruise does feels like it's calculated and planned. People might love Nicolas Cage for the same reason they love Lady Gaga, Ryan Gosling, or Christopher Walken. They seem to have a discipline or a path, something that's identifiable but ineffable. Which makes a lot of sense, because all of the great masters said the Tao which can be talked about is not the Tao. So we'll just leave it at that.
2: That's a beast!
0: One of the uh, the third track on the soundtrack is called Everything is Wrong by the Donners. I'm going to play that now because it pretty much applies to everything in all of these movies. And I like the Donners. I've been Alex like Shaw.
4: I've been Sharon Shaw.
0: And School's Out.
4: School's Out. out.